This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Hello and welcome to you wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast, the weekend edition or Weekends with Walshy as it's known. My name is Peter Gowers. Thanks for listening in wherever you may be. I'd like to get our special guest on now, all the way from the NT Independent online newspaper, the editor, Chris Walsh. G'day, Walshy. Hey, Pete. Good to see you again. You too. Or as he's informally known, the unelected mayor of Clowntown. <laughs> you got to stop saying that. I, I'm not responsible for this nonsense. I just report what's happening, man. You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't create it. You just preside over the craziness. Yeah, I don't manage it. I just, I report on it. And we comment not, on it. Not caused by you at all. <laughs> I'm not taking my hands are off this train wreck here. It's, I've got nothing <laughs> to do with it. <laughs> I, I don't remember who it was, but um, I'm sure they're listening, and I, I really appreciate um, your comment way back whenever it was, saying, what is this place, Clown Town? Because <laughs> we have just run with that line ever since and loved it. Oh, yeah. No, it's perfect. It sums it up. And, <laughs> you know, every week, we're just reminded of all the clown yeah. clownery. Yes. I haven't clowned since the 90s. Yeah, yes. all the clowning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And look, I made a, um, an apology at the end of last week's episode for uh, any jokes that may have offended. Thankfully, no one wrote in and said I was offended. Uh, yeah. The Chief Minister did, but hers went to spam, of course. <laughs> She's perpetually offended by everything. But um, <laughs> I'm sure there will be jokes in this episode as well, and there will be serious topics. And yep. again, in advance, I just need to lighten the mood sometimes because it gets a bit heavy. That's it. That's right. Well, let's get started, Chris, because we've got lots and lots of stories to yeah, get through. We're starting heavy, aren't we, Pete? And we are starting heavy, which is why I did the little uh, disclaimer there, because, look, after last week where things were obviously uh, shocking for those in Darwin and a situation that, you know, I guess none of us felt we were going to be in, we were. And when I say we, obviously nobody more than the family themselves, but you know, after um, Declan Laverty was stabbed to death at, at work at the BWS at the airport mm-hmm. hotel, we then had the next day two bottle shops being held up and staff were threatened with having their throats slit, according to police. Yeah, well, remember the death was on the Sunday and I think there were some other incidents. And remember, like BWS had announced that they were closing all their shops at 6 p.m. Yes. And yes. Um, that was something that I think we just we, we touched on last week. I think it had just been announced that day. And then... You know, you get up, yeah, the next morning here and you read this story. These horrific reports are coming in out of Palmerston mm. that um, the two Palmerston bottle shops were held up in a series of attacks on Thursday. So this one, I think they were saying six incidents over a nine-hour period. Now, this involved a credit card being stolen from staff at one of the bottle shops Another guy's like bank card or something. They were threatened with having their throat slit. Alcohol was stolen at a second shop where a large kitchen knife was brandished. Uh, and of course, all of that, yeah, in the, in the aftermath of the stabbing death of Declan, Declan Laverty. Uh, yeah, it started in the afternoon. Like, I don't know if this, this is an argument to be made that, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, 
reducing the hours, closing early isn't going to change anything. The yeah. problems are just going to be there earlier in the day. And you yeah. think, well, I don't know about that. But then when you see this stuff, this all kicked off about 2.40 p.m. on Thursday. Of course, we, we didn't know about it until Friday morning when the police started reporting this and letting it out. And I know all the other journalists in town were sending their reporters out there to cover it. Uh, I guess it was one issue at the Kazali's Palmerston bottle shop on Temple Terrace with his hand in his pockets. He allegedly threatened to slit the throat of staff. Although a knife was not produced, the police said the alleged offender ended up obtaining a credit card from one of the staff members. Uh, yeah, and then the BWS at 3.50 in the afternoon, same kind of thing, threats with a knife, uh, or no knife sighted, but there was then another guy showed up at 5 p.m., and he had a large kitchen knife protruding from his shorts. He allegedly threatened the staff, staff members and made off with alcohol from the location. And then it was 9.35, they they show up again, or these other guys do. Like, this is all very confusing. There are so many incidents here. Uh, more people showed up threatened security guards. And then at 11.50 p.m., another group of men allegedly attempted to break into the bottle shop by prying open the roller doors. Wow. Uh, they got a couple of them. Oh, and there was another incident at 3 a.m. So you're looking at a 12-hour period here where uh, a staff member leaving the Palmerston Tavern saw a man inside the bar but the male had left by the time police arrived. It's a disappointing night, and we're doing the best we can to solve these crimes. Police Commander Lamb told media. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, really heavy, isn't it? That's just... It, look, it's got this feeling of lawlessness to it, and yeah. you know, that sort of seems to suggest there's there's no sense of you know being afraid of the consequences or... or, or you know, what might happen as a result of, of committing these crimes. Yeah, Pete, yeah, that's it. It, it just doesn't seem like they, they realize that there'll be consequences. Um, and I think that's kind of what got us in this problem in the first place. But, yeah. um, you know, there's just so many issues at play here. And, you know, allegations to these people were, were from out of town. We're, we're, we're in town not long. <laughs> I don't know. Um, look, even Endeavor Group, course the owner of bws they came out and said that it was uh, incredibly concerning they then moved to close the the stores for the weekend and yep. you know usually they're closed on sunday anyway but saturday they just didn't open after this uh, and that was clear across darwin and palmerston um yeah so uh, you know, and it came, you know, even on the same week here where, well, the day before you had files saying that her government, well, that us taxpayers would pay for security guards at bottle shops until the end of June, among other minor measures in the wake of, uh, of Declan Laverty's death. Uh, yeah. And she talked about all these other things they were going to do. And then you had this issue come up and it, it doesn't look like it was working. So uh, the other thing too, this might this might sound like a really strange comment, but sort of go with me here. Who's going out committing crimes with knives wearing a pair of shorts? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't does think. Does it sound like a, a planned situation or more of a, yeah. oh, I just happen to be here? You, do you know what I mean? Does it, I don't know if that sounds weird, but I feel like it's unusual that someone's committing a crime of that nature wearing a pair of shorts. Well, and I think that's what makes it all the more disconcerting is that, that these aren't people who are cat burglars who are going to get dressed up in sneakers and black and yeah, yeah. sneak around and actually be sophisticated in this. These are, these are lunatics. These are uh, yeah. addicts, you know, these are people yeah. who are addicted, 
who, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's no telling what they're going to do and how they're going to behave. So it's not even so much a robbery as it is more an aggravated assault when yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff happens and you start pulling a knife and threatening workers. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, they wouldn't care as much about the alcohol. But that's what I mean. It just shows you who, you know, we're dealing with here and, and what yeah. they're really after and that there's no, there's no for there's no forethought put into that. It's just yeah, yeah. a crime it's of opportunity. They want yeah. booze and they're going to find a weapon and, you know, and then it could end so badly for anybody. And, you know, yeah. and we heard that this week too, Pete, and I don't know if we were going to talk about it, but, you know, um, the, uh, the, the family of Keith, uh, no, I can't remember his last name here and pronounce it right, but the 19 year old who's charged with stabbing Declan, Yes. Now, he's come out and the father of him saying that, you know, he was part of that. This is a whole racist system here. And, you know, you got into a thing. But he said, you know, I also hold myself accountable. He said, because I um, I was sharpening the knife. Apparently, he's a knife collector and he had this knife yeah. in the car. Yeah. This uh, suspect, the man accused with murder is um, used reportedly, allegedly for the stabbing. So, um you know, like I said, these crimes of opportunity, and then you have the weapons that are there, and you're not being mm. careful enough, and um, yeah, and they'll just do yeah whatever strikes them, and they got a weapon in them, they'll use it. Yeah, I did find that article very interesting to read. I found, look, the man's obviously under a lot of stress because his son's been charged with murder um, and various other crimes, but I did find it um, a very interesting and telling in many ways, you know, just his, his whole demeanor and thought process. Um, and, and yeah, look, I mean, the whole thing's horrific for everyone, for both sides, but the fact that, you know, uh, the father said that he'd left the knife in the car and it should never have been there. Um, you just, you just think, my God, how different things could be had had it not been there. Yeah, exactly. And this is, um, so this is a man named Fabian Clark. Now he's the father of Keith Karen Noah, who is up on those, uh, on that murder charge and the uh, breach of bail, uh, serious breach of bail and other yeah. charges. Um, yeah, he said he blamed himself for leaving that there. He said, it's my fault. The young fellow's dead. He told the Australian, if the knife wasn't in the car, the young fellow wouldn't have got stabbed. I put it there. Um, but Clark added that the main reason kids are running amok, and I think this is worth talking about, Pete, for a second. Um, yep. He says that the main reason kids are, quote, running amok in the NT was the, quote, racist system in place. He said, mom was in the stolen generations. My grandmother was in the stolen generations. And then we've got to deal with this effing racism and all that. With all this going on in Alice Springs and everything else, they need to blame somebody for something. No. Okay, but yeah. you, know, you just said that your son well, was involved here. Uh, Clark said he wanted to see a royal commission into Indigenous issues in the territory. The courts, the effing police, we got to deal with racism all the time. He said, I work in construction. I've got to deal with racism at work. I mm. uh, added the people were talking under their breath and giving stares. He says, we go down to the shops and we get followed around as if we're going to steal. This happens all our lives. Walk through the neighborhood, people looking at us as if we're going to break into their houses. Uh, he said that the Keith, his son, had been talking about doing an apprenticeship. But then whenever uh, young indigenous people try to move forward, they always get pushed back no matter whatever they do, he said. 
in the construction industry, companies get subsidies from the government to hire indigenous employees that bring them on site, but don't get them on tools. He said it's another way for white people to rip, uh, rip money off the Australian government from Aboriginal indigenous people. He's got a point there. So there was a big scandal here, but I it's agree. not coming. It's not coming from Aboriginal indigenous people. It's still government taxpayer money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, there's, he's, he's bringing up some issues here. Now, the grandmother, uh, Keith Karanawa's grandmother, who did not provide her name to the Australian, told the paper that he had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, ADHD, and had been neglected as a child and, quote, not getting fed and always starving. Mm. And growing up on the Tiwi Islands, she brought him to Darwin. When he was growing up, he always asked me, why doesn't my mother love me? She said, I couldn't really answer it. I could never answer it properly. Yeah. So I this a is question some... around that, Chris. <clears throat> and, and I don't ask this question because I know the answer by, by any stretch. Um, I just, I was, again, I was intrigued by that comment. Mm. And does, does fetal alcohol syndrome does it have uh, like a use-by date? As in, is it something you grow out of? No, I don't. I don't is think it permanent brain no, damage or permanent brain damage, from what yeah. I know. But yeah, I'm not okay, a okay. medical expert on that. But that's my understanding. Okay, is that that's something that's going to be with you for life. You know, when your mother's drinking, when, when the woman's drinking when she's pregnant, that that's going to seriously alter the life right. of the child she's carrying. And this is the problem that we have here. Is far too much much of this. Yeah. And yeah. we know that. And look, the government knows that and why they're not doing more to do that. Look, Kuman Jai Walker's another case, and that's not no surprise or secret, was uh, yeah. he too had FASD. Um, yeah, this is the stuff. I think, you know, a, a lot of people upset about that saying, oh, yeah, it's the poor bugger me story. You know, keep, stop crying about racism here and start working. Well, this guy does work. I think yes. it's. I think it's worth reading and understanding what he's actually saying. And if we took the time to listen here, I think we're going to mm -hmm. get a little further, a little closer to the solution than just saying, oh, well, whatever. He doesn't know what to say. He's racist. And I'm racist. And everyone's racist. And, you know, we're not going to get anywhere. And then everyone's an idiot. And so we got to we gotta listen to each other here. When, when he's saying that, and you kind of get that sense. Now, why does that happen? And maybe non-Indigenous, you know, maybe white people, don't like being called out on that, that you're looking at an indigenous person in the shopping center as if he's going to rob you or walking down the street as if he's going to come into your house. I mean, how do we get to that position? Like, this is a whole other thing. We won't get into it now, people. I'm sure we will get into that discussion at some point. Yeah. There's something going on with race here. <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't know what's saying this, but there are some really yeah. serious race relation issues in the Northern Territory that, that we've got to address that we've got to speak about. Yep. And, um, that needs to happen and all of this needs to, to be worked out. I don't know this is a difficult thing and you get into those kind of discussions, but um, I think the only way we're going to get through this whole thing is to have that, those discussions and to, to find some sort of common ground and get to a place. And I don't want to sound trite about it all, but you know, it, it's just so difficult. And I don't think that we're talking about this yet. And I don't know what the government's doing. We talked about, I mean, they never had a plan. So how are they going to, deal with an issue as complex as that when they can't even, you know, they have no plan for dealing with anything at this point and never did. So, yeah. you know, reading this stuff though, getting to hear what, 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 what the guy, the accused father is saying of how his life is and how he sees this 
Mm. Uh, that's important for all of us to read, I think. I agree. I agree. It was it was a good read. And look, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and say that when I saw the headline, I thought to myself, oh, oh here we go. He's calling racism. Yeah. But when you read it, you then sort of, you get a small snapshot into what life is like. Just like yeah. you can't tell me what my life is like and I can't tell you what yours is like. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And look, and there are contradictory things in here and everything about correct. it all. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think we got to see where all the sides are coming from here and start talking yeah. about it. So, yeah. yeah. The other thing too, just quickly before we move on to the next story, something I wanted to bring up last week, but I didn't because I didn't have the facts and I didn't know whether it was publicly um, available information or not. But I did catch an interview with uh, Darren Clark, who is the Action for Alice guy that we all know and, and actually was on our last podcast if if people want to have a listen to it. Yeah. Um, he was interviewed by Sky News uh, during the week and Sky News volunteered this information. So I'm happy to repeat it because they said it. A- and that is that there is a, I'll just say it's a belief whether it's, you know, there's hard facts to, to, to back it up yet or not, I'm not sure. But it's a it's a belief that a lot of people have dispersed now from Alice Springs because of the change of the bottle shop laws and the trading hours and things like that. And aside from going to various other places, uh, a number of them have ended up in Darwin. And I just wonder if that's not contributing to this new little spike. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, that's, that's, I think the police would probably even agree with that, that they've seen some things as well. And I remember we had Nicole Madison many months ago saying that too, that it was most of the problems were caused by by itinerants who were coming in to Darwin from, yeah. from community yeah. to score some alcohol and whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one thing, but yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, you, you mentioned Darren, uh, down there and all the stuff he's been doing to get that out and, and you're saying he was on sky news i think he's like the co-host or something of the morning program there now <laughs> he's on there so often but you know good yeah. for him and i know he's on the ben fordham show too every morning and um, yep. but you know that things are so crazy there and that's what i i wanted to say was that and getting back to that to the issues that we were having and the, the like you said where are they coming from the people but we've got this crazy uh, incident that happened Thursday night into Friday morning, and, and of course the stabbing was terrible. Um, in in Alice Springs over the weekend, you had uh, cars being stolen and, and just set on fire on like main roads. Like three cars were stolen and set on fire. And I think his comment, because I think he was on Sky on the Saturday morning, saying, you know, nothing changes, and that was kind of the headline that we used when we ran the story. Yeah. Um, and, and and just how bad Alice Springs is now. That happens the night before, and he's on the, the, the morning of the crime rally, uh, yeah. the anti-crime yeah. rally that, that happens at Parliament House on Saturday. And that, you know, we ran a series of photos from the site scene, and, um, uh, yeah, it was really well <laughs> shared on Facebook and social media because I think people wanted to know what was going on there. Yeah. And so you had, look, from the people that I've talked to, and I've talked to a number of people who were there, you had anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000. We're thinking probably closer to about 3,000 people, mm-hmm. which which is phenomenal turnout. Like, that's the biggest one that I've heard of in my 10 years here uh, yeah. for a protest like that. That, that. That's remarkable that they got that many. And, of course, it was a peaceful uh, protest. You saw the, a lot of families were there, a lot of young kids 
I think yeah. one one girl held up a sign and we ran saying, why are we making our children more brave than our politicians? And, you know, uh-huh. it was it was certainly the, a lot of signs with a lot of messages, but all of them uh, coming together into this one message of just you need to do something. Labor yeah. files, labor government needs to address th- this problem in our community find a solution now that's hard because like i said they, they never had a plan for this when they came in first elected in 2016 they didn't think crime was ever going to be an issue so they just they had no plan so they've been on the back foot and, and reactionary the whole time and i think that's part of the problem mm. that we talked about and i said get the politics out of it all and just come together with one plan and, and enact it that's that's all yeah. encompassing right and that takes care of everything and that was really the message and i've spoken to organizers of the event as well um and that's really the message they wanted to get across was that this this transcends politics and this is um you know that the, the community's had enough and the, the organizers family uh, family people who been victims of crime themselves wanted mm-hmm. action taken then and and they went through the whole system of trying to get justice and and getting turfed around and you know finally getting a letter from the police minister just a form letter dismissing their concerns essentially so now they've gotten you know they they start this organically um and you had yeah, thousands of people show up um very peaceful protest from what i understand the police who were there and the protesters it was very amicable like they were yeah. you know so just had respect for one another and things didn't get out of hand and there wasn't really any concern that there there would be from from normal people um but you know you had chalker there saying it was being run by anti-vaxxers and we'll get into all of that <laughs> later because <laughs> like i like we were talking about last week right it was something else yeah. oh the anti-vaxxers are the ones who started the rumor that he's resigning <laughs> like you know the man has invisible yeah. enemies now the, the, yeah. like anti-vaxxers don't even really exist anymore. At least he's consistent though, Chris. He's despised them for at least a couple of years and he's, stick, he's stuck with it. Yeah, stuck well, and, and now he's like pinning all kinds of things on this <laughs> secret group of anti-vaxxers where there's no mandates anymore. So nobody, yeah. uh, who is this no group? It just really doesn't make sense. But anyway, look, but all of that to say that, that, that from all the people that I've spoke to who attended, the organizers, everybody, that that seemed to be a really well-run event and one yep. that, 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 that was successful, I think, in delivering that message to the government, even though the government wasn't there to hear it. They saw it because media was everywhere they could hear it because that many people sends a very loud message that the public is not happy with the way yes. this government's going about their business and keeping people safe and doing that job in the way in which the public expect, as we always say. Uh, and so it's so good to see that. I think that's such a democratic you know, right to, to be able to do that and protest your government. And mm. so, um, yeah, I think that really kind of set the tone for the next week here in parliament as well and what what was going to kind of roll out it did and um that that moves us beautifully on to the next story because you know as a result of the anti-crime rally on the weekend we then had this sort of uh outpouring from different segments calling for the chief minister to resign and uh, as as you'd expect, I suppose. But you know, it was it wasn't just one or two people as it might have previously been. But you know, Natasha Files has stuck fat and said that uh, she has the support of her caucus, while obviously the calls for her to stand down are mounting. But yeah. you know, she said that she is uh, one with the community. So. <laughs> I know, and I had to put that in the headline it was when quite she the line, said it. Wasn't it? Oh, I just. 
could not believe it. I'm at one with the community. When I just said you had thousands of people showing up, um, mm. all of those people, most if not all, would be saying, stand down now, resign. You've got yeah. us in this mess. You're incapable of fixing this. Anyway, she decides, no, no, she has the support of her caucus colleagues. Yeah, sure, there might be eh, maybe even more than a few thousand Territorians. Those are just the ones who showed up on Saturday yeah. who think that she stuffed this whole place up and that she doesn't have the ability to fix it because, like we said, there was never any plan. We're still not seeing any plan. Yes. Um, it's, this is all just a bunch of stuff they're pulling out now and throwing around, and we'll get into that in a minute. But first, she defends herself Monday morning. She's on with Katie. I was going to put in there as the headline we used one with our community because it's so over the top ridiculous but the other one just i was going to put so katie file says she has support of caucus <laughs> um anyway that's funny that that's just how those interviews go and it's not a lot but i'll tell you i don't know if i was telling you this peter i was telling someone else the other night that um she sounded the robot was malfunctioning to me on that interview on Monday morning. She wasn't as tight and slick with the lines. She there was something in there that she's realizing she's got a lot of pressure on her, and I think it's starting to hit her. Anyway, she's um she's saying that uh, she has the support of her caucus colleagues to continue in the role. Um, while also defending, and this was another kind of little clown sideshow story from the other clown, uh, Chancey Paik. Uh, she defended Attorney General Chancey Paik, who was caught out campaigning with New South Wales Labour members over the weekend while thousands rallied at empty parliament house to plead for action on crime. Mm. The man in charge of the justice system in the NT, the NT's first law officer, was nowhere to be seen. He's he's in he's in uh, doing happy picks with uh, <laughs> New South Wales Labour on their election. And, um, yeah, I think people were rightfully annoyed by that. I mean, you've got Absolutely. a crisis going on here. It was later in the in Parliament that he, that, like, so she defends him and she says, after she's done defending herself, she says, look, I've got the support of my colleagues. She said when asked if she would be resigning, uh, these are tough issues that we're facing and we have to tackle them head on. Although she's not doing that, we need to listen to the community we need to work across our community. It's really important that we have leadership, whether it's local council, whether it's indigenous representation, whether it's business, whether it's industry. And so that's what I'm doing. Whether it's the chief minister? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then she said, uh, the surgeon continued to assert that her government had done more than any other to protect the community, which she keeps saying when I don't, I haven't seen any proof of that. And that she was, quote, listening to the community uh, but she would not be listening to Robin Lanley and the rest of the community who asked her to resign. Um, so Katie, she said, I just want to reassure the community. I absolutely listen each and every day. Every comment, every idea is considered. She said, we do. And when you look at that long list of investment that we've done, I did think that we had the settings right, but clearly there's more work to be done. And that is being done, and that will continue. Well, yeah, there, there was no plan here. This is not that she thought she had the settings right. I mean, she's been reactionary the whole time. There's what no settings did they have in plan? Yeah, I don't know. It just completely turned them in the opposite directions, whatever the styles <laughs> are on this. So, look, the other thing, uh, and she said, well, well, that's her aim. She'll be working each and every day. We've all heard this to achieve, and I'll be judged in August next year. 
of course, yeah. at the election, and she will. Miss mm-hmm. Falls was also asked why Attorney General and Justice Minister Chancey Pig was taking photos with ALP members in New South Wales uh, while that uh, protest and rally was happening, and, and really just the whole um, crime crisis and trying to find solutions here, and the Attorney General takes off. Uh, she suggested that he was, quote, providing feedback on something while in Sydney. We're doing this day in, day out, she said. He was in Sydney for a couple of days, but as I just outlined, I certainly spoke to him. He was providing feedback. To who? Uh, we don't know, and on what? I, I, I'm guessing that. Yeah, I'm guessing that she was, he was giving them updates on how the uh, how the polls were tracking down there in New South Wales. Listen, I, I can only take so much of this rhetoric for so long. I mean, at the end of the day, we we, we had a situation in Darwin a week or so ago, that's unusual, right? That's unusual. People get, you know, sure there's, I guess, bashings and robberies and break-ins and all sorts of things that happen on a daily basis. But let's be blunt about it. A a 20-year-old fellow went to work one day to do his job and and due to, as you said, probably addiction and, and whatever else, he didn't go home that night because he was stabbed to death for doing his job, mm. okay? That's the sort of attack unlike I, I can remember in Darwin, right? Mm. Um, may have happened before, but that sort of thing has never happened that I can remember in, in my involvement with Darwin, which stretches for more than 20 years. Yeah. So I think it's time to stop with all the bullshit labor one-liners out of the playbook if – there's a protest of 3,000 people at Parliament House in Darwin. Let me tell you, people are serious, okay? Mm-hmm. Because most people won't turn up to anything. But yeah. if there's 3,000 people, they are serious. And for yeah. the Attorney General, the man who runs the legal department of the Northern Territory Government, to not even be bothered to turn up and pay some attention, well, that just shows the sort of disrespect that government has for its own people. No, that's it, Pete. That's it. And we're going to get into later what they really think. But here's the line. Now, here's we'll get in later what they really thought of what was going on in that protest. But here's mm-hmm. the line that she says at the end of the interview on this on Monday morning. She says, uh, files reiterated that her government was, again, constantly working to find solutions to the crime problem. We are at one with our community, she said. We're heartbroken over the incident and the loss of Deccan's life, but you can see through our actions that we're putting in place measures that we hope will overcome these issues and give us that safe territory. And if they don't, we will never stop trying. That's just right. That's that's that point. What measures had they put in place, Chris? Uh, Yeah, well, this we're talking about. The the real only thing was the pledge to review the Bail Act, um, pay for security guards. Uh, redesign capsicum spray. spray. That's what we're getting to. Arming security guards with capsicum spray and teaching them kung fu or some sort of de escalation techniques, whatever you want to call it. Um, and if you see that, all come back. But at that point, that's all they had done on Monday. And the only thing real there was capsicum spray. And you saw legal experts have come out and said that this this is dangerous. I mean, any idiot, any right thinking individual could be able to figure out we shouldn't maybe be arming people. I have no training like in that, but when you want to de-escalate something, you don't give people more weaponry to do it. <laughs> I know, I know. And then, and then, yeah, remember, and who's going to train them? I mean, the anti-police didn't know. We got into that last Police week. Academy. How to use it. Yeah, how to use it properly. They sprayed themselves. Anyway, 
Yeah, look, no, there wasn't a lot then, but she was feeling the pressure by that point on Monday. I mean, there was that rally. That's a lot of people telling her they don't have faith in her doing the job anymore or that she ever did. And, and then, so she's feeling that. And so there's pressure coming. The CLP are saying, why didn't you bring in anything last week, like legislation that we could actually pass through here that would make a difference and keep the community safe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she she's feeling all of that, but then to say that we're we're at one with the community. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyway, um, we'll get into that a little later on exactly how at one they were with those people, those those territorians who were out there exercising their democratic rights. Yeah, well, we know how at one they are because they thought that uh, Parliament the, the the week straight after that stabbing happened was just a bunch of fun and games and a great opportunity to laugh and carry on like idiots. Right, right, right. And they, and that was so thrown in their face over the weekend. We ran an editorial, which touched on many of the things that we talked about last week on the podcast. Um, I saw Cunningham also um, wrote a, a piece about taking the politics out of the debate that was going mm-hmm. on or the, the theater of politics that was happening in Parliament and how tone deaf they were to the public's yep. grief over the, the, the death of this young man. Yes. Um, so she, she she realizes that, and she's heading into the second week already on the back foot, defending herself Monday morning and saying she won't resign. And then she comes in and she introduces the, in Parliament on Tuesday this legislation that she said will stamp out knife crime. And essentially what this is would be to change the uh, the presumption of bail we're told that there would be no presumption of bail for offenses involving a weapon. Now that's how they said in the first release that they put out Tuesday and they kind of announced that they'd be introducing it on Wednesday into parliament. Uh, uh, We had some questions over what exactly it was by weapon and, (laughs) you know, and then on Wednesday we, we got to see that and what they meant. Well, let's get into the nuts and bolts of that because um, it, it was staggering what wasn't included. So rocks and bottles are not included in the Labor Bail Reform weapon list, but throwing stars, nunchucks, and catapults are. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, well, you know, when I got to that point, and I think Leah Finocchiaro was standing up in Parliament and reading some of these weapons that will, be, will result in presumption against bail if they're used, uh, she got to nunchucks, and I had to laugh, struggled to myself, and I said, all right, look, I'm writing the story because Territorians are not going to believe how absolutely ridiculous this is yeah. until they read this because we know that makeshift weapons, improvised weapons, are the weapon of choice here, right? Yes. So one of the things, so Files is trying to say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the community's concerns. I want to make this tougher because, remember, this guy is alleged to have killed, and we know he was killed. We know that Declan Laverty is killed. But the man alleged and charged with his murder is uh, uh, was on bail at the time for another yeah. serious aggravated assault, which involved a bladed weapon, they called it. And, you know, and the police are really bad at this, too, and what they call it. And they can't just say knives or actually say what it is. It always is some sort of weapon or something. So, yeah, we're, we're curious about this. Now, we know when they, most of these crimes happen, and you can talk to the tow truck driver down in Alice Springs, again, who got the, the rock in the eye. He's lost the sight in his eye. Uh, that's a weapon. Rock is very much a weapon. Glass bottles, we know. Uh, mm. The security guard that that night before Declan was stabbed got a bottle in the head and, and a gash. Yeah. Um, that's very much a, a 700 mil jug 
Bundaberg is very much a weapon when it's being oh, used like yeah. that. Um, scissors, star pickets, screwdrivers, and other makeshift weapons, according to the government, if they use that, would not fall under this new uh, 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 amendment that would result in a presumption against bail for offenders. So, yeah, th- this was it. They said that they were going to use it as a weapon. We thought, okay, so if somebody comes in with a rock um, or a bottle, a screwdriver, even a car, like I said, that the other oh. part here was that the car should have been on there because yeah. we saw that Catherine and Alice Springs where these, these kids and children, like some of them are like, what, 10, 11, stealing cars and swerving mm-hmm. at police vehicles, smashing into police vehicles. Uh, but this doesn't count as a weapon under this new, uh, these new amendments. So, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, you just... It, it was it was done clearly. The whole thing is is that uh, political theater to um, to make the public believe that the government's listening to them. They're going to do something, but no. Look, the only way that 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 this new presumption against Bell was going to apply, like I said, would be to medieval knights and ninjas because we've got <laughs> the, the, the weapons that are on here now. They're from two categories called uh, and or. The, or um some of the cast of monkey magic as well. <laughs> yeah, I know about that show. Uh, controlled weapons and prohibited weapons. So you've got and now on the books, this is what they have these obscure things like throwing stars, cattle prod, nunchucks, a mace, studded gloves, and a catapult. A catapult is on there. So if you're committing a crime with a catapult. If you see somebody driving down the road that. with a catapult trailer on the back of their car, it's time to run. I mean, what and are they the, talking about? Yeah, it's the presumption against bail if you if you're doing that now. Yeah, and then they get into very technical terms about prohibited weapons and controlled weapons. And look, it's, it's unclear if a spear. I couldn't even make out if a spear is included in this. Like, you know, which is another weapon that's used commonly yeah, here absolutely. and causes a lot of damage. So, yeah, look, the CLP was calling on the government uh calling them out first for um why can't it just be all weapons like well that's if, what they said they said look if offensive. you're using anything extra to your body yeah you it know, can like, cause damage yeah, to people or you know, yeah. the um the punks used to wear those um studded bracelets yeah right and those studs they they leave a decent gash in you if you hit with them so why would you all out when were you fighting punk rockers? Uh, a couple of times, you know, back in the day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll get into that story another day. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> you had no respect. I remember, like, um, you know, in my teenage years, things like that. I was in Melbourne at the time. Things like that. If if the police saw the young ones wearing the studded um, bracelets yeah, or cons, yeah. yeah, they were all immediately thrown in the back of the paddy wagon and moved on. Yeah, yeah, well... They would have to have, oh, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess maybe some of these things would fall under their studded like, glove. I mean, for, ex- for example, a screwdriver. Yeah. Jesus Christ, if someone turns up to a bottle shop with a screwdriver well, using it to threaten someone, how can that not be considered a weapon, for Christ's sake? Uh, according to Declan Laverty's father, that happened to him. Remember, Declan was looking for a new job because somebody had come in a couple of weeks before he was stabbed to death and threatened him with a screwdriver. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's it, very much the thing, the thing about it is, Chris. Sorry to interrupt you, but the more I think about this, the more it's annoying me. 
the, the thing about this is, right, many times these are crimes of opportunity, okay? Yeah, so a so. thing like a screwdriver, which is extremely threatening, it's readily available anywhere and everywhere. You'll find one in every car. You'll yeah. find them all over the place. So rather than having to deal with specialized weapons, which are going to be less easy to find, you need to cover everything that's readily available, including rocks and bottles and all the other stuff that get used. Which would fall under offensive weapons. Yeah, right. And so that's what the CLP was saying. And so they put an amendment forward to this bill saying, you've got to do one of two things here. Here's one amendment. We want all offensive weapons under offensive weapons. And that can be the rocks, the screwdrivers, the bottles, what have you, whatever makeshift. That, that would include words for the chief minister, though. <laughs> everything. That's right. Offensive weapons. Yeah. Um, and then. <laughs> so the CLP uh, were unsuccessful in getting that up later passed this. They didn't take that. The other thing they said, okay, if you're not going to add offensive weapons, just make a presumption of bail against all violent offenses. And yeah. labor wouldn't agree to that either because they've had this worked out. It took them a while. You know, you had Chancey Peck here. He comes out and he said in Parliament, so we're going to go back to that interview on Monday morning when Files said, oh, I support him, and he was down and helping in New South Wales, and he's given us feedback. Well, he contradicts her. He gets up in Parliament, and he says, no, I was on leave. <laughs> right. Okay. And he said, I got, well, I guess he told media that in a press conference, sorry, that, that one of those days, and he said, no, I was on personal leave, and I paid for the trip. Well, we're going to see about that, Chancey. Oh, but, but, and, and then... And then in Parliament, he gets up and they said, well, when, what were you doing with this legislation then? Because clearly you guys had started work on it last week and you didn't tell anyone. And then you flip off yeah. down to New South Wales. And he said, I had my public servants. I told them what to do. And they were doing it all weekend. They worked hard. My public servants. Yeah. So right. that he They're could. personal public servants. Well, that's what, and that was what Madison said a couple months ago, about a month ago as well. Yeah. When she wasn't around to do something, she said, no, my, the bonds of airlines about tourism, no, my public servants will do this. And so they seem to think they can do that. And, and like, I'll tell you this, in political circles, nobody takes personal leave between a two-week sittings period. You do yeah. not take the weekend in between, especially when this, we get back to this. You had the protesters there. You had the community demanding this government do more he flies off and says these public servants my public servants can deal with this mess and i'll fix it when i get back i'll take all the glory for yeah. this and this is there's no glory in this there's no glory in anything that labor's done here. no um, and the other thing is why would you if you're working on it last week when the absolute s storm was at its highest why wouldn't you say that instead of saying no we're going to win the next election who cares yeah. why wouldn't you just say look guys we're working on something it doesn't happen yeah. overnight yeah, look, Files hinted something that there may be other things. She's still saying there may be other things, and we saw another thing today, but none of this is actually consequential. Yeah. You know, none of this the, is going to produce results. And the fact that she said he was doing something for her and reporting back, and he said something completely different means, again, we've been told another porky pie. Yeah, yeah. By someone. And, and look, and we'll, we'll tie this in later too. It'll come back with another story we're doing, but. Mm. Uh, Chancey Pick was on mix and he said um, that this may result in for increase incarcerations. This yeah. the changes to the presumption because it really won't. Is there's nothing here? 
there is nothing yeah. here. This was a whole day wasted, and and mm. and taxpayers should get their money back. They should be all handing in their their day salary for this nonsense. Because at the end yeah. of the day, even this whole thing on this, uh, oh well, we'll change the presumption of bail. It's one of eighteen different things that the courts check through the checklist. Yeah. This is just one. Is the offense? Is the presumption of bail for or against? Yeah, it's just one thing. Like th- this is all just to make it look like they're doing something, and I've never seen a government this desperate and without any idea whatsoever on how yeah, to fix yeah. this right now because they've let it snowball and get to this point. Yeah, and I know that there's this whole concept of CLP locks everybody up, and Labor is perceived as soft on crime. That's the you know general chit chat. But to say that it may result in more incarcerations. I mean, that's a nothing statement. Yeah. It should result in more incarcerations because if old mate who stabbed Declan Laverty is out on bail, he should be incarcerated. If the young lass that attacked the mother and the uncle and the sister and had her carry on was out on bail, then she should also be incarcerated yeah. and anybody else doing the same sort of stuff should be. So don't, don't be so soft that you can't even say, oh, there will be more incarcerations. Because I don't think anybody wants someone like that on the streets, do they? No, look, no. And I, and I think that was the message that was delivered quite clearly at the protest um, yeah. on Saturday that he wasn't around to listen to and then neither Files was around to listen to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. No, they, they failed this week in this kind of stuff. Um, mm, yeah. Interesting. Well, look, let's um, turn to the anti-crime rally now because, as as we've said, there was, you know, quite a, okay. a large... <laughs> yeah, you want to... We'll, we'll, we'll actually show how it won. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And uh, let's talk about the, um, the email that was revealed to you, Chris, and uh, saying how the Files government feared the public would attack during the anti-crime rally. Yeah, so this is it, right? Like, so she's asked this in Parliament. Now, here's what we know, that, that the files is nowhere to be seen that day. No Labor minister and no Labor MLA is anywhere near this rally. Mm. Um, and we know that Chansey, the Attorney General, he got on a plane and was the furthest from the rally and was yeah. not listening to the public when they came to the public's house and delivered that message. Um and, and as much as files said, oh, we're at one with all of them. We hear you. We're listening. We're doing things. Well, come to find out, there's a, a parliamentary email going around that shows that the government was afraid uh, that the public would attack electorate offices that day during the protest uh, yeah. with politicians told to lock their doors and not to hesitate to use duress buttons while oh. the rally was ongoing. I thought you were so, going to say use reasonable force. <laughs> no, well, but they've, <laughs> apparently they have duress buttons. I mean, the comments on this today, we had this story. I did get to see this email that went around. So, but they, they have duress buttons. And I think the public was saying, well, how do we get some of them? Yeah. <laughs> know, and a lot of people saying, well, now they know what it feels like for the rest of us if they were afraid of the public. But look, man, this is so crazy, and this is like so out there. Uh, Files is asked about it, and 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 it was this? It was her response that I picked up on in question time on on Wednesday, I think it was. She didn't want to answer it. They, the CLP said, "Did you, you know, hide behind locked doors? Did you lock up your offices? And is that where you were on the day of the protest?" 
and she she was flustered. She was com- the, the robot malfunctioned completely. Uh, she did not know what to say because she does. She, so you know, Katie, so Katie, so yeah. Katie, and you so can Katie. lie outside of the house sometimes. But it's, <laughs> it's an actual offense to do it inside and, uh-huh. uh, and mislead Parliament. So she she didn't know what to do. So she appealed to the speaker, and she wanted him to rule the question out of order, and he didn't. And Monaghan, now this guy, he's not much better. Now, what I understand is he was hiding in the speaker's chambers while the protest was outside, and he had all the doors locked and sipping his okay that the, the Kezia had left behind. She left a few dozen boxes behind, so he's drinking that, and he's terrified. Look, this is, this is what this is. The Labour government, we know that they fear... They fear the public and the voters, but my God, to suggest that they thought that these that they were going to riot, that they were going to go into electorate offices, and I don't know. Look, it got to a point where I'm thinking, like, is she thinking this is an insurrection? Yes, like the the QAnon shaman is going to be running around there. CNN or Fox News thinking that this is a whole other Trump thing. Like, and wasn't the um, wasn't the answer in the name? It's an anti-crime rally, not a create crime rally. <laughs> well, look, I think part of this, there's a lot going on here, and I'll get through this. But I'm, I'm still thinking that there's that in her mind, like as she's terrified and under her desk, there's some Q, the QAnon shaman. You remember him who had the yeah, horns yeah, yeah, and the hat yeah. and the face painted? This guy would be orange and black painted face. Yeah. Aaron's through Parliament House. Standing just, alongside the Proud Boys. It's, yeah, it's just so ridiculous. So now we know and we've seen images and we've seen video and we know what this was like. And then thousands and thousands of people were there at the rally. It was peaceful, family-friendly rally. Um, now, uh, what happened was that before it happened, remember Chalker, as we were saying with the anti-vaxxers, he claimed that it was being organized by unnamed anti-vaxxers. However, mm. uh, now, there's a lot going on here. However, his office told the Anti-Independent yesterday that the government made the decision to lock down electorate offices, that it wasn't the police. But he right. seemed to kind of want to put that out there and get in people's minds like, oh, you really don't want to be attending this, members of the public, because it's just yeah, these yeah. anti-vaxxers. Well, and then, you know, we tracked down the organizers of the rally and we asked them some questions and they refute that. And they said that, no, they were not anti-vax organizers. Um, they said the protest had kind of come together organically when they, as victims of crime themselves, started organizing it. Uh, one of them said that's pretty telling of where Chalker's attitude is at the moment over the public coming together. He said uh, the claim was to deter people from coming. Right. That, yeah, that's what Chalker yeah. said that. And he hoped people would question the peaceful rally and not attend. He doesn't want the focus to be on him. We want the focus on crime in the NT. It's not about us as a group or individually. We've done this for the public to have a voice. Uh, they went on to say it isn't going to be a one-off. Uh, obviously, the public are annoyed. There were 3,000 people who attended and saw it was a peaceful family event. They, too, said they understood why politicians would be scared of the public. They should always be scared of the public, but could not explain why they anticipated violence. That's the thing. Like, yeah. They should be afraid of their bosses, but why would they think that some violence would erupt? But look, this is, I guess, the, the, the environment that we're living in that they created. Crime has been one of those issues that has been so prevalent and only gotten worse and worse. And organizers said the people in Parliament are aware of it. Deep down, they understand this is a big issue. The territory hasn't faced in a long time. People have had enough. They know people are frustrated and angry. 
they know there's a reason for people to come together. Now, all yeah. of that doesn't sound violent to me. It sounds pretty accurate of what's going on and what the public's appetite and mood is here. Um, so Files was asked during question time in Parliament Wednesday if she'd locked the Nightcliff electorate office doors. Uh, and that was where I could tell that her response that there was something more to this. So I, I made some calls and I was able to see this email. And I'll, and I'll get into that first in a second. But in accordance, I guess, the, the email... The parliamentary email that had been sent out, it recommended politicians, quote, keep your office doors locked and to, quote, know the location of your duress buttons due to increase. This is what they said, increased community visitation following the death in Jingley this week. And this wow. was done last week before the protest. Right. So increased community visitation. OK, that's democracy. Okay, that's when you go in and you say to your MLA, your elected member, I don't like what you're doing about crime here. And I need you to do something because I'm afraid of my children. I'm afraid for my family. I'm afraid for for Territorians, my neighbors, everybody. What are you going to do about this? And this is, oh, no, well, this is increased community visitation. And we should be able to lock the doors on these people. It's outrageous. It is absolutely outrageous that they're even thinking like this. Like, of course, there's going to be increased community visitation. There's elected representatives. And I think, and I'll get to it here because Robin Lamley, uh, (laughs) oh, when Robin Lamley, I I had to pick what words to use at first because there were so many good ones. She (laughs) laid into into Files and told her what her responsibility was because Files doesn't seem to get this. so, but files back here, she's trying to get out of it. And then she says, oh, yeah, well, I take the safety of the team that works with me seriously. But you clearly don't. She's saying to the CLP, you come in here and play politics with it. We've been saying, don't play politics with these issues. That's what the community's saying to us. Don't play politics. Get on with the job here in this house. Yet last week, she was playing politics the entire time. And yeah. it, she didn't explain why the government was afraid of the public and that they would. The public at an anti-crime rally would then somehow decide to go and attack individual MLA's offices and thereby commit crime. It just just baffles me. It just is so stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, Questions. So we then sent questions to all labor MLA's, all of them, um, asking questions about their fears. Uh, They did not answer, except for one. Okay. And that is a member for Blaine, Mark Turner. I wondered, yep. <laughs> so he said uh, that he spoke with his staff and agreed to keep his office open to deal with his constituents' issues. He said, quote, critical or otherwise. Yeah. Because that's what that's you right. do when you're an elected representative. That's his, that's his job. Uh, but look, you know, he thanked the Legislative Assembly for their concern for staff. Uh, independent MLA, Robin Lamley, and we got to get into this because this was now she's a former minister. We know this in the previous CLP yes. government, terrible government. Uh, we know that they did a lot of things that weren't popular. They, but you know what? They didn't run from it. They did not run for, and I even have to give them credit on that. They showed up. I remember a time when they were really going hard on. Tolner, and I don't remember what for. He actually came down and talked to the protesters because he yeah, knew that's yeah. what you do when you're elected. Yep. So here's what Lamley says. So Lamley calls out files in Parliament for not showing up at the rally. She said, look, there were many rallies of different things during the previous CLP government. We would march out there routinely and face off with people who were very angry with us for whatever reason, and that's what you do. As a politician, you suck it up. 
you weather it and you face these people who are often very angry with you about any matter of things. You showed a lack of leadership, each and every one of you, Lamley continued. None of you turned up on Saturday, and I find that absolutely appalling. And it would have been noted because they were all your constituents. They're all from Darwin here in the northern suburbs and in the city. Yep. Uh, you are out of touch with how Territorians are feeling, despite the fact you say you are listening. We heard the chief minister say, quote, we will never stop working on these issues. Uh, from most Territorians' perspective, Lamley says, you haven't even started working on these issues. You've been ignoring the situation for a long time. Couldn't have summed it up better. And um, as much as they say they're listening, there's listening and then there's doing. And uh, all, all it says to me is completely and utterly out of touch. Uh, yeah, and, and that's it. Yeah, you're out of touch with how Territorians are feeling, despite the fact you say you're listening. Let me tell you. Another zinger from Robin. Oh, look, there was so much. She just was on a roll. And I would encourage people to read that answer because, oh, she just like unloaded there. And she everything yeah. she was saying was 100% true. When you're an elected official like this, you need to, that's your job is to front the public but, and to but explain you yourself. That's yeah. who you answer to. It's, it's, almost, it's almost as though they don't understand that that's who they answer to. That's the priority. It's not yeah. like, it's not like, oh, who the hell are they? They've got nothing to do anyway. They're the ones that put you there. They're the ones that you answer to. And they're the ones who can take you out too. And, um, <laughs> you know, but then you got other things. Look, there were reports today. We're working on some stuff that some public servants were uh, told not to attend. Right. The rally by their bosses. Now, uh, and Bill Yan was saying um, that he has spoken or the CLP office had spoken to um uh, a, 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 a a public servant who says that she's being disciplined for, for going. Yeah. And wow. like, this goes like, if this is true and I, I, I don't know right now when we're trying to uh, verify and get some more information as we're talking on Thursday here, mm. um, that's pretty troubling. But at the same time, that's kind of how the NT operates, isn't it? Yeah. The government can control and, and do this and, politically stop people from exercising their democratic rights is not right um, mm. i'm sure there'll be legal issues but this is how desperate this government is and this is the control that they wield and then it's not only that the public servants maybe it's the people who get government contracts private businesses who think "Ooh, i don't want to be seen at that protest even though i'm i support what these people are doing but yeah. will i will i lose the contract then and we know how that all plays out and how, and how just corrupted this whole place is because of that. So anyway, we'll, we'll try and get more on that. Um, the CLP, over back to this issue with this email, um, the CLP leader, uh, deputy leader, Gerard Malley, had asked Files if she had hid from the public. He said that question clearly struck a nerve. Files first tried to shut the question down and would not directly answer the simple yes or no question in an extraordinary statement she then spoke about her own safety he said personal safety is on the minds of all territorians even the chief minister who answered quote i value my safety sadly Mally says <laughs> doesn't seem to have that same concern for the safety of all territorians mm. now you know thought it was fair in the story to point out that in july 2022 remember gunner's uh, former chief minister michael gunner's fanny bay electorate office was trashed by that guy um, yeah. who later told court he was living a nightmare. 
this guy's broken uh, at the time of the destruction due to COVID vaccine mandates that Gunner introduced. And this is part of the fear mongering that Chalker wants to get into. Um, yeah. Remember, Gunner also charged taxpayers for security upgrades at his home in 2021 after he claimed he was the victim of a, quote, stalking type scenario. And <laughs> that's what he said at the time, it's, anyway. He, he's wonderfully vague with his comments. Yeah, and, and stalking types. Yeah, and fled his home and told his family to leave after his address was yelled out at an anti-vaccine mandate rally in October 21. Um, anyway, look, this internal parliamentary email seen by the Independent made no mention of those incidents, but uh, did recommend locking electric office doors and using the arrest button if staff felt unsafe. Adding the Parliament Sergeant at Arms had been made aware of increased community visitation. Get back to that <laughs> at politicians' offices following the stabbing death of bottle shop worker Declan Laverty. Please be advised. Now, this is what the email said um, from Legislative Assembly. Please be advised that this interest uh, has also been noted on social media. This is people talking to their MLAs, been noted on social media, and a crime rally is being planned outside Parliament House on Saturday. It's likely that this will take some time to calm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what the hell are they basing that on? It's recommended yeah. that you keep your office doors locked and screen visitors. Know the location of your duress buttons and please do not hesitate to use them if you feel unsafe. Uh, yeah. So now here's the other thing that's going to blow you away on this story. And we're going to mention this. The last part. Chalker's office surprisingly did respond to questions from the anti-independent. No way. <laughs> we sent them questions. What they say, none of your business? And they responded. No, they actually, well, they didn't answer all the questions in the way that we wanted, but they provided a response. Wow. What they say? Okay. So, yeah, Chris, thank you for your inquiry. And yeah, that no, wasn't that. It was just, they just went through the, I think it was only like five or six questions, but, um, you know, they had, they had response for each one. Uh, but basically, the response was all the same, which comes down to this. Uh, now, uh, they did respond, including um, one of the questions was why he had told the public the anti-crime rally was organized uh, by anti-vaxxers and said the police maintain, he said, police maintain awareness on issue-motivated groups. Okay. That's so a, That's uh, a very policey term. Yeah, information. So this is what they said. Information provided to anti-police indicated that one of the organizers was linked to previous anti-vax protests. <laughs> said police yeah. media director Margaret McKeon, uh, although this was publicized as a lawful protest, police maintain awareness on issue-motivated groups and their ability to infiltrate a planned peaceful community protest. And then they said the decision to close electorate offices was made by the government. Right. So the protest was organized legitimately, but they were concerned about an issue-motivated group infiltrating and <laughs> turning it into a January 6th-style insurrection. Not yeah, where the, the QAnon shaman, shaman would be running around still. <laughs> yeah, man, look, I... Uh, yeah, I don't know where that's all coming from um, because you have families there. Just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the rally well, organizers, not, of course. I'm not friends with anyone who organized it, right? Yeah. I know people who attended from yeah. all different walks of life. Yeah. But there wasn't a one single thing about it that was indicated to me that it was anything other than 
We're concerned about our safety. We're concerned about break-ins at businesses. We're concerned about break-ins at homes. We'd love the government to do something about it. Yeah. That, that was the only message that I saw consistently across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And look, the organizers did tell the MT Independent they have more rallies planned. Uh, peaceful rallies, of course, to deliver the government the public's message that they're failing the community on crime, including the next one will be on April 15th at 4 p.m. So they're going to do more of these now until Brilliant. something happens. Yeah. Um, and they may be going for a long time because I'm not thinking anything's going to happen soon. Labor does, still doesn't have a plan. So. And just a bit of advice to um, anyone who you know, basically writes them all off as being anti-vaxxers. I know there's still some crackpots out there who are still banging on about the vaccine and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But by and large, people have moved on. There's no yeah. need to be an anti-vaxxer other than those people who would choose to sell their own homes instead of use a real estate agent. They're the same sort of... That's <laughs> <laughs> the real estate agent, yeah. <laughs> Having dealt with some of these people in the past, they're extremely, let's say, opinionated about... Self-sufficient, why I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> about why they're the better person to sell their house. I get that. <laughs> But listen, Mr. Chalker and friends, the anti-vaxxers are not an issue anymore, right? So <laughs> you need to find a new minority group to kick. kick well, a new, yeah, a new straw man is what he needs. Is <laughs> a new straw man to blame all of his problems on because you know, Zach Rolf, he's not yeah. around lately, and no. so you know, anti-vaxxers are out to get him. Yeah, yeah. Real hungry. What do I get blamed for? I haven't done anything for about twelve months. Yeah, look, and and you know, and just the other thing on that, not. I'll update you when I can make sense of why the hell they responded to us and what's going on. So yeah, I'll please. get back to you on that. That needs to be a standalone story. Yeah, all the time. I know, I know. When you get more detail. Uh, yeah. And hopefully we will. And we'll see if they pick and choose because it seems to me, I just sent them questions not too long ago on the, the Gwyn matter and they didn't respond. So, mm, um, but enough. maybe, maybe, maybe somebody's in there and getting ready for the post chalker days is what I think. <laughs> and so they're going to, to, They're going to a separate office that does respond to media. Yeah, just getting ready for that day <laughs> when Chalker's gone. And, you know, the place will function like a proper police service would. Anyway, Imagine someday. You yeah. can only hope. So let's move on to the next on the massive list of things that the government are going to do to fix all the issues. And uh, one of the things they've come up with is uh, the government has, uh, proposes a buyback of grocery store liquor licenses uh, to reduce the grog harm. Yeah, look, this was the latest solution that the wizards have concocted here. Um, I I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, it's a voluntary buyback. I mean, part of it is saying that we've we've let too many licenses out in the community, like out in the, in the territory. Okay. Territory-wide that they've that they shouldn't have this many liquor stores. But in this case, they're not. What they're doing is they've announced a voluntary buyback of grocery store liquor licenses across the NT, which it says will reduce the number of takeaway alcohol outlets and alcohol-related harm. Um, yeah, Files announced this voluntary buyback scheme Thursday morning and pledged to once again review the Liquor Act, which may see further changes. They review this every so often. Um, seems like an awful lot with this government, but... Uh, 
Anyway, so they're saying this this voluntary buyback, which would only be for like grocery stores and the small kind of corner stores, um, that it will, given the ongoing alcohol-related harm we're seeing in the territory, particularly over the last few months, this buyback scheme will likely see a decrease in alcohol sales. Files said, yeah, "I don't know about that. Like, I don't know what kind of volumes they're talking about here." But yeah. uh, you know, and if, and if they it, can't buy from one local grocery store they'll just go to the next one won't they and they'll go to the big one and they'll again yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it's just yeah you're dealing with what we're saying there but you're dealing with the supply not the demand issue and the demand issue is your problem here why yeah. do you have this many uh alcoholics as many this this many addicts who need this and will commit crime to get it does it's, does it really make sense them to close a little tiny boutique liquor shop yeah. Uh, when you've got the bigger ones open. And remember, look, they talk about, they said that, um, you know, that there's that there's uh, evidence that suggests about the density. Uh, she said all offers made to buy these back will be commercial and confidence. So we don't know okay. how much money this is going to cost us all, um, if anyone's going to take them up on it. The purpose of the expression of interest is to reduce the number of alcohol takeaway outlets across the territory. She said, as evidence shows, the density of liquor outlets contributes substantially to alcohol-related harms and takeaway outlets pose the highest risk. And why I'm chuckling about that is they said the opposite when Dan Murphy's, when they were trying to block Dan Murphy's from coming in, they said it was the size of the individual liquor store that caused all the problems. And and then they really did this. And me and Ben Smee, we were at the NT News at the time. We said, send us that evidence. Send us whatever report. We we went through both of these things they sent. It did not say what they said it said. And we went back to them and said, it's not true. And so, you know, whatever they're basing all of this stuff on. But, you know, when you're looking at that density of alcohol takeaway outlets, all of them are not equal, right? You've got the small one, you've got the huge one, and taking away a small one, there's nothing to, 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 to address that demand and that demand will be met at a bigger one or somewhere else. Um, yeah. yeah. Again, this looks like one of these surface level things that maybe looks good. Like they're saying, Oh, we're going to, I don't even know how this looks good for them. Like we're going to be buying back liquor licenses because we over allocated them and admitting that they gave up too many. Yeah. I, and being uh, voluntary, like what if everyone says, well, I don't want to give mine back. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and then it, it sounds like they might have some issues there. Now, Zicoli IGA, of course, was closed because, remember, the, the part of this is that um, in January, the government started to crack down on this, that they that when you get a liquor license at a grocery store, you can only sell, like, what is it, 25% is the cap on liquor sales for grocery stores. So if they exceed 25% of their revenue from liquor, See you later. Turn on the lights and call the cops. Or, or when was that introduced, car. Chris? Uh, I, I can't tell you, but it was. It, it would have been when they got the license. Look, I, I understand it to a point, but, I mean, how do they police that? And, and how's Well, they it are the, now. I don't think they did before. But how's it the grocery store's fault if they're selling more than 25% of the – I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, so hang on. They're, they're – they're, They've got some bean counter somewhere that says, oh, hang on, 
Our liquor sales have gone over 25%. We need to wait till we sell some more loaves of bread and fish before we can we can start selling again. Like it's yeah, like or an what impossible they did, task. What they did, like I guess last week or early this week, was they shut it down. They closed the liquor store and said, "Now we wait till the next quarter." At the end of March, <laughs> we get in a paper for the next quarter, and then you can open up again. So, look, what, what the shop's owner said on social media there earlier in the week was that the move was anti-competitive. Um, that kind of shut them down and would not stop the volume of alcohol being sold because people would just buy liquor at one of the larger retailers. The big guys are going to thrive by us closing our yeah. doors, yep. they said. The statement said, adding again, then you're looking at that issue, which you never want to see, but uh, adding the three employees had their casual hours taken away and pleading with the government to scrap the limit. However, Files has insisted uh, or instead offered to buy back the liquor license from them. Um, yeah, the voluntary buyback scheme which, will be in place for will, the next four weeks with licensees encouraged to contact the government. I mean, they say they'll buy the liquor license back. All right, well, that's that's great, but it'll virtually force them into bankruptcy because, you know, let, let's assume it's running to the limit. That's 25% of their gross turnover. Mm. Is, is achieved through liquor, well, you give back the license or sell the license back, they're not going to make the 25% mm. up selling extra other things. Yeah. They're not going to sell it, you know, make it back selling bubble gum and... Well, probably. with the prices for bubble gum these days, Pete, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they will. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, no, your point's right. Like that, that, that is going to be... Uh, a devastating impact on on a business yeah. when they're setting up for what they expect for revenue every year. Yeah, yeah. Then the business closes. Then the landlord doesn't get rent. Then uh, and then yeah, and then if there are less places too, does that jack up the price of alcohol for everybody else all around? Correct. Yeah, you don't have as many places. So and then you got local suppliers who aren't supplying to that business anymore, and their trades yeah. reduced. The, the the on flow from that is is going to be catastrophic. Um, and will it affect? And that's it. Like I, I want to see where how they're going to monitor that and how they're going to say yes. Well, we've had, you know, let's say three people have agreed to sell back their their license. We bought it. Like, are they going to measure it? How how do they measure the success of that? Like, it, I don't think they can. No, they can't because if you and I'm just making up suburbs here, so there might not be supermarkets at all these places. But let's say you go to the Gray supermarket in Palmerston and they've handed back their license. Well, guarantee you they'll go to the one, the next suburb over. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, it's, yeah, it's not going to, they're not going to turn up to the supermarket and the, the small independent store is going to say, oh, sorry, we don't sell alcohol anymore. And the person's going to go, Oh, okay, no problems, and I'll, I won't buy it anywhere. Yeah, and then I'll just go home and sip on water for the rest <laughs> of the night. Like, what the hell? Yeah, that's a good point, Pete. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, well, look, um, let's move on to the next story because, you know, all these things we're talking about with crime and, uh, you know, the bail laws and everything else, um, then we have this little humdinger oh, uh, <laughs> that comes out, and that is that, the government is struggling now with record inmate numbers and overcrowded NP prisons. Right? Like, they don't even know where to put them. Like, luckily, right now, the police and the NP police put out a statement late today saying that, yeah, they, they're confirming that they've allowed corrections to house prisoners in watch houses all across the territory, well, in Darwin and Alice Springs. And, and that, um, that's the ones that are open. 
Yeah, and the Peter McCauley Center as well. Yeah, the ones that are open. Um, yeah, and Peter McCauley Center also is going to take some. So uh, this is bad. And, you know, the, the thing that struck me here was the police put out a statement saying, yes, yes, and this is uh, a short-term solution. And and they're, they're stressing this because the CLP came out, I think, and said earlier that this is taking away officers who are guarding these prisoners who should be in jail but are in the ah, hall. now really yeah they've refuted that they're saying no it's actually correctional staff that come into the facility okay. the watch houses um yeah. but the thing that, that struck me was that they did say the police said this is a short-term solution where we can see that the, the, the earlier this week uh the corrections and the corrections spokesperson told the abc um no, the pressure on the system is expected to continue for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so I don't know what police think this is just temporary and directions and saying that we're screwed here. Like, and this is so bad. Like, I, I cannot understand. I think this just kind of gets to everything here. Look, if you need any proof that this government had no plan for dealing with crime and dealing with those social issues that we need to deal with. Look no further than this. This, 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 this is kind of the culmination of everything, isn't it, Pete? Like, it you know, like they, they've put it uh, on the whole crime issue that we've been talking about. So they're on one hand, look, it's so crazy because look, they, they announced this week too, it wasn't the government. It's this other group that's set up as an offshoot, a group, an organization from um, the Aboriginal justice agreement. And I've got to, and I've got to be honest with you. I haven't read that whole thing, and I'm going to, because I really do got to get my head around what we're proposing here at the Aboriginal Justice Agreement. And I will. Um, but here's what we know: they came out. There's a, there's kind of like a working group out of this, and and they're they're lobbying the government. And and Chancey Pegg, the Attorney General, actually showed up to their press conference on Monday, and he said, "You're right. You're right." We can't be doing the lock them up approach anymore. This tough on crime stuff's not working. We've got to we got to try something else. And then the next day, he shows up in Parliament and says, "We're going to make it harder for people to get bail, so that more yeah. people are in jail." Like I, it's it's just yeah, I, yeah, yeah. they just they're so contradictory. They just policy on the run, Chris. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so. And so now here we are. Can you imagine that? That somebody who does this doesn't understand, and he, he's the one overseeing all of this with the prisons, doesn't realize that we don't have the space and is doing nothing about it at this point because here we are. The capacity, they surpassed capacity this week. They have before, but this week it came became even more apparently. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, the opposition CLP said it was dire, could have severe consequences for the public. Um, the facts here, what we see that, uh, there is, um, on Monday prisoner numbers reached an all time high. We're told mm. 2,082 people registered as in the custody of anti corrections on that day. The combined capacity for all NT prisons and work camps is 2,024. So about 58 people, um, short here, uh, which has seen inmates sleeping on mattresses on the floor and all kinds of other makeshift arrangements. Uh, Nicole Madison and Chansey Peg wrote out any new prisons being built. Instead, Peg said, we're working on a range of measures through our Aboriginal Justice Agreement to reduce the number of prisoners, such as alternatives to custody options and improving justice outcomes across the NT. We're going to let them out. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that should sound like that, but yeah, and then this whole idea that he that he's yeah, such as alternatives to custody options. Well, how can you even be talking about that on one hand, and then yeah, you're gonna make getting bail tougher. Like this just yeah, shows yeah. The, the the hypocrisy of these idiots and just the idiocy of it all. Um, yeah, so now. Uh, I just, okay, the opposition CLP warned, quote, the damn wall is about to burst on the prison system. Um, and this was, uh, was this Bill Yan? I think he was talking about it today as well. And he's a former security or corrections guy, so he knows this. Um, they did call on files to explain what the government's solution is. I think they were saying, what's her secret plan? She hasn't told us what the plan is. Mm. Uh, I just said this. This is the line. Now, this is from Steve Edgington, CLP Justice Spokesman. No government could be so incompetent as to have no plan at all, not even the files government, but they need to communicate with territorians to allay those fears. Yeah. I hate to break it to you, Steve. No, that's exactly yeah. where we're at. They have no plan at all. Based on the um, previous business plans that they did after things have been approved, <laughs> I'd say there's zero plan whatsoever. No, that's it. Um, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when that conversation happened between the head of corrections and I presume Jamie Chalker and uh, the head of corrections rings up and says, look, uh, just need to use a few of your yeah, a few of your cells for a while. And Chalker's like, it's just short term though, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, we expect that uh, soon enough no one's going to be arrested anymore for crimes in the NT. Like, <laughs> that's what he said to Chalker. Well, you tell me. It's a temporary solution or not. You guys going to stop arresting people? Can you stop <laughs> arresting people for us for a little while? Like it, it's so stupid. Like, yeah, but we're laughing about it. But my God, this is yeah. this is just showing another level of just the, the, the incompetence here. Now, the last line that um, Edgington said here in the story, we don't want to see a situation where dangerous, violent offenders are left to roam free and assault territorians for no reason other than the government having nowhere to put them. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the fear, obviously. At. That's where we're at. And like, this mm. is, I, 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 Jesus Christ. I, uh, we read, we ran an editorial, I think, late last year. Was it earlier? That, no, it was late last year, I think, saying like, it takes a special, you know, actors to, all work together here and like people of such unbelievable incompetency and corruption to, to ruin a place, to break a jurisdiction so badly. And somehow they've all come together here uh, in the Northern Territory to screw this place up. And this is like another one that we can add to this list because this is like a problem that they don't, they don't have the solution for. There is the, 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 the things are, are bad and about mm -hmm. to get a lot worse. If we see everything the way it's lining up, these guys were allowed. We somehow put them in charge and let them stay in charge for going on seven years now. And they have, and you know, and it, it's not all of them that started before them as well, but it's really because they've not taken action because they've had no vision because they haven't displayed leadership that this place is, is falling apart. It, 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 and more than that, I mean, it's falling apart right before our eyes. It's mm. the solving this. Like, you know, 
I was just thinking like, we're, we're going to have to just, we'll have councils. I think is how it will work. Like we'll have city councils and stuff, Bombers and Darwin and different towns. Um, but the NT government eventually will need to be run by the federal government. Like the, the jurisdictional stuff will have to be by feds. And, and, and this will be on Gunner and files because like, my God, they're, they're, they've destroyed the entire place. They've taken a jurisdiction and destroyed it. And I, I don't even know how uh, all the factors that have to come into this, you know, like yeah. the stupidity, corruption and, and, and all the right people lined up in the right places to just stuff it up so badly. Uh, it's unbelievable. And I, but I honestly, and I've, I've been talking to political people all week, of course, parliaments in, and they're saying, well, where are we? Like, what are we doing? And we're, we're just having conversations. Where is this going to end up? And I'm just getting back to with everybody I talk to. We're doomed. We're just completely doomed here. Like, there's, there's no way out of this now. Like, these people have shown us they're, 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 they're contradicting themselves on a weekly mm-hmm. basis, on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on, like, fundamental issues that they need to be in control of to keep the community safe and including like prisons and, and what's going to happen there and that they can't even communicate properly to manage this. It's, I, I, yeah, I'm just, I don't even know. I don't know where this goes, but it's not going to get better, Pete. I'm afraid. I think the other thing that, that continually comes back to me when I listen to the, these types of conversations and the exasperation in your voice is that, and again, I know we often get accused of bashing the government, but they're the only ones in place at the moment. The opposition, look, we've had a fair crack at them recently as well. Yeah, well, then I'm not saying that they have solutions either. That's why I think we're doomed, but that's part of it. Uh, Well, the the thing is that for me, I I always just come back to the fact that it it continually feels as though if you want to run for a seat in parliament, you want to be part of the government, no problems, but you should have to have some sort of qualification to do the role that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you know, you've got, you've got police ministers, you've got education ministers, you've got attorney generals, you've got, you know, some really complicated roles that require great minds. And, you know, I've said this one before, and I don't even know Chancey Pake's background, so I'm not talking about him personally. I don't either. An but, advisor. Yeah. But if you're the Attorney General, you've surely got to have some sort of a legal background. The same as if you're the Treasurer. You've got to have some sort of finance or accounting or background that lends it to you understanding that what the environment that you're actually controlling. I think you're absolutely right, Pete. Absolutely, and I agree with you. And here's where I think it went wrong. Like years ago, at least in Canada, I can't speak for Australia. I wasn't here. You know, I've been here nearly ten years. Um, but before that, when I was growing up, I think I've said this before. We had qualified people run. So we had, you know, retired doctors, retired lawyers, business people who retired who felt like giving back to the community, right? After they were already successful in their in their personal pursuits, they said, okay, I'm going to get in politics now because I do have a skill set and because I can make this place better for everybody. And that's why I want to do it. And, 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 and we were all beneficiaries of that experience and, and those people who knew what they were doing. What we have here in the Northern Territory, 
like you said, I mean, I don't know what he was an advisor before Reno Files was a swim teacher. We've we've got people who are not coming into those roles to to bring anything or to make the community better. They're doing it to better themselves. You know, so you look at a guy like Gunner, like who's he he's working for Twiggy Forest now? Like this man is nothing. He Gunner had worked at Big W. That was his only real world job. And that, that got all mixed up with when he ran again and how that got played out. No, the reason, and it is embarrassing for Gunner that he worked at, at Big W. That's not embarrassing. What's embarrassing is it was his only real world job because then he became an advisor to Paul Henderson or Claire Martin and Claire Martin. Um, th- th- these were people that were political insiders who then for their own self-interest got into politics for a career job instead of having a career somewhere else and then getting into public life, public service, because you get into public service to serve the public. And this goes back to what we were talking about with Natasha Files, not understanding that she's in the job to serve the public. And, mm-hmm. and they had nothing. They have nothing. And that is why they have no background. They have no frame of reference to draw on for anything here. They're beholden to these public servants that they hired. And who's coming up here now? This place is so broken. We're not getting good, skilled people from down south coming up here. We're getting people probably running away from screwing something up down there. And they're coming up here for the last job they can get. And they're they're screwing this place up, too. And this government listens, listens to them. Mm. It's just it's not working and it's fundamentally flawed and we just the leadership isn't there and the people who are in those leadership positions are not in there for the right reasons and this is what we're seeing and it's only going to get worse that's how it feels unfortunately and uh, you know like we've said tonight it's on a knife's edge anyway because crime's up prison numbers are up um you know you've got Peaceful anti-crime rallies being held, yet they're being accused of... Uh, and the government's yeah. running and hiding and locking the doors and won't talk to the, the public, the people yeah. they work for. That's crazy. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, yeah, it's nuts. Anyway, look, I know I know we're going to be talking about this a lot more over the coming weeks, but um, we'll, we'll park that stuff for now. We'll stick to politics a little bit for this next story, and uh, that is... The Barclay Regional Council, who we have talked a bit about recently, talked a bit about recently, uh, have decided to keep the investigation into alleged bullying and harassment secret as a by-election is called, or as by-elections are called. <laughs> yeah, so they're, 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 yeah, look, this Barclay Council, like, they, they're just messed up. Yeah. Like, this is it. Like, I don't know how the, this whole, a lot of them haven't been sacked yet. They still got <laughs> the mayor up on the drugs charges, right? Like, the, yeah. the CEO's now quit after the mayor's been lying and saying that she was on extra leave or she had unlimited leave because she was so great and doing such a good job. And then she resigns and is replaced. Um, you know, now we've got this issue where uh, the NT Electoral Commissioner has announced by-elections for four four councillors. Now, and these guys, like, quit because of all the, the craziness that's going yeah. on in the thing. Yeah. And so we know that this is happening between April 24th to May 6th. Um, but this report into the madness that's gone on here, and, of course, we're talking about the flood of resignations last year amid allegations of bullying and mismanagement, 
Um, the mayor, Jeff McLaughlin, and then chief executive Emma Bradbury had said the complaints were the venting of a small group of disgruntled ex-employees. It couldn't be them, although it's yeah. more than a small group. They both denied allegations. They, they, they went to do this report. They brought in an outside independent legal agency or legal firm to, uh, to do an investigation into what's happened. Now, this is not going to be released anytime. McLaughlin had said, oh, yeah, yeah, we might have to redact some, but I'll release it. But no, and he said that publicly. But privately, we've now got the council's health and safety officer, a uh, guy who quit his job in, in May of last year, saying that he's now been told he, just last week that the council had told him the report will not be released. Um, so you've got, you've got, and I don't tell him Woody, and of course, this is Woody's story, and he's been following for a while, but I said, how many counselors do they have? <laughs> like, how can you do a, a by-election for four when the whole rest of them should be sacked? I'm thinking there's only like two or three left, but yeah. I think he said they have like 12 or something. So you still got two thirds, right? But the problem here is that the people who are going to be going to the to, to 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 run for council have no idea what the extent of the problems are in it because they're keeping this report quiet. So how do you how do conscience who just talked about people representing the community? How do you say, yeah, I want to get involved in this mess <laughs> without knowing the extent of how big a mess this is? And, and from what we understand, and I understand just talking to Woody about it, and he's got more, we're going to get to see the, how big a mess this actually is. And it's a lot worse than what's been reported so far. Um, and you know, I, I just, they, they need to come clean with the public about the public has a right to know if there was dysfunction, mismanagement, how that's going to be treated. Um, yeah, uh, these guys, this is just, it's just the clown show down there. And I keep thinking, and I think what he brings it up a lot in these stories, 2017, I don't know if you remember this, Palmerston council was sacked. Yes. Function and allegations of corruption. And I covered that. And um, that was a crazy kind of thing that happened. But like, if anybody else is going to this, this place should be, they should be looking at Barclay Council here. Yeah. Um, because how are you going to, I just, I don't, under, I don't understand who authorized. And I know, look, Ian, Ian's going to do what, what he has to do under the law for the NTEC. But was this rushed in a way like, should they not have said the government? Look, it's the government's fault. It's not Ian's fault. But the government should have said, "We'll hold off here. Let's just see how this goes because we got to get to the bottom of this because the whole thing should be sacked for dysfunction." And then you do a whole new mm. council and right or whoever they're going to do that. But to have a dysfunctional council and then try and get four more people, a third of the council, let's say a third of new people coming, it, it, it's not going to work. I don't see how that works, and I think it's a waste of time. I think that. But we're not getting answers on exactly how this functional the whole thing was. So, how many councils uh, for Darwin City Council, Chris? Yeah, good question. What did they got? Sixteen. So they got sixteen, overseeing what one hundred and twenty thousand people, and Barclay Council oversees how many people? I don't know that. That's a good question. <laughs> Geographically, it'd be a big area, but I don't think there'd be that many people. That, well, there wouldn't be 120,000. So, you know, it might be, what, 20, 30,000 people. Seems yeah. like a lot of councillors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess maybe they're all spread out over the Berkeley region. It's not just of course. in Tech yeah. Creek, but um, yeah. yeah, of course. Um, 
Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I just there's there's some stuff going on there. Actually, look, I'm sorry, I just looked that up. There's only twelve counselors for Darwin. I was okay. thinking that there was more than that. So yeah, um, right. it's the same numbers. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so I guess they have that set up um, for that reason. How many people live in that whole Berkeley regional area? 7,200. Right. And they yeah. need as many councils as. <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah. as well. Something, something right here. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 7,200 is the numbers coming up for that uh, area. 322. Thousand square kilometers <laughs> population yeah, seventy three hundred. It's a massive area, but there'd be more cattle than humans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, no way. And there's uh, yeah nine regional councils all around. Anyway, yeah. Look, I I don't know. It's just when you got dysfunction like that, um, I think the public has a right to know what's going on, and that mm. everybody should know before people are putting their hands up to represent. Yeah. But, yeah, but Woody's going to have much more on this. I think he's even heading down there soon. So, um, wow, yeah, that's big. If Woody's heading down there, <laughs> he, might, he might end up on the council by the end of all this. <laughs> he might end up the mayor. I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Look, another group we've talked a lot about um, in recent times, but uh, this is a really interesting story. Uh, the chief fire officer called the police on the fireys for criminal damage that was done on uh, some of their uh, fire engines using non-permanent markers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, this, this <laughs> as I was saying, Pete, you know, this gets bad and everybody starts losing it, I think, a bit when these contract talks go on, as long yes. as they have, and these guys are trying to get a deal for the fire. The fireys are trying to get a deal. And it seems like they're really buttonheads with the executive and have been for a while. But this one gets strange. Like, you know, when the chief fire officers just all around calling the cops all of a sudden on, <laughs> on his own boys saying, yeah. um, you know, you've caused criminal damage, criminal damage to fire trucks by riding on them. Like, even if, if it was a permanent marker, still, that's criminal damage. Yeah. Like, you know, you're pushing that. Um like Spain is here and on the credibility on that. But anyway, look, they're saying they're allowed to, um, it's protected industrial action. While this is going on and they're trying to get a contract, that it's uh, non-permanent markers that could be wiped off. It can be wiped off and are wiped off after mm. shifts, I guess. Um, but yeah, this dispute has been going on. Spain's saying, no, he still believes it was non-permanent marker. So I think that's pretty easy to prove, is it not? Like, yeah, despite the fact it's not there anymore. Yeah, does it come up or not come up? Um, yeah, then it's just uh, anyway. He was on. He was on mix uh, earlier this month, a week or bit ago, saying that uh, yeah, that's right. He's called the cops on his guys, and he's done it before, and he'll do it again. <laughs> okay, I stand um, by my cop calling record. Yeah. And, you know, Woody, Woody had done this story and he said, you know, uh, something about like that. But did Spain actually call like the non-emergency police line and wait on hold there to say, I got my own firefighters here. I see them writing awful things on the fire truck. Or did he use his connections with Chalker, Chalker's I, office? I prefer to think he rang triple O and say, quick, you need to get down there. 
I got some guys writing filthy things on a fire truck and non-permanent <laughs> marker that I can very easily erase, but I want you to come down and put the fear of God in them or something. Teach them a lesson. Let's <laughs> if they're teenagers or so. Anyway, um, we don't know how that happened. And uh, yeah, we, we just don't get that's what, the, this that's what the fire is said when the cops got there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't know how that got on the van like that. <laughs> now, what he, you know, because we had reported something about this. We had heard something about this before, but but Spain going on the radio. Um, it was like he had to distance. He was told to distance Chalker from all of this. So he goes on the radio and I, Chalker had nothing to do with this. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> these appliances uh, worth a lot of money. I, make, I will make it very clear the commissioner was not involved in this process. I am head of the fire service and I'll take responsibility for calling the police in on that. It was my opinion at the time there was criminal damage potentially being done to our community fire assets. And now I guess he realizes there wasn't. So, but the thing that I don't get, Pete, if you're like a good manager and just a good leader with people, why doesn't he go down and talk to them before calling the police? Because yeah. I'm sure they could have hammered this out before, but he's like up in the office staring at them on the phone. <laughs> through, through the blinds in the window. <laughs> I'm calling the cops. <laughs> Yeah, it's just unbelievable. This is like I said, the places have fallen apart all around us, and this is another one where the firefighters are acting like this, and you know the, and the chief fire officer anyway. And I'll tell you something else for nothing. If you thought the negotiations were intense before you called the cops, I'm tipping they're only going to get worse now. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And um, what was that? What was that line? I'm trying to find it for you. Of course, the unions got involved. They're not too happy. United Workers and T Secretary Erna uh, Early saying firefighters did not use permanent markers. Um, and uh, she said any employer who calls police on their employees for protected action, especially a chief fire officer who calls police on their firefighters, is a grub. She said, "Too shy, Erin and Ellie." <laughs> <laughs> well, but she's saying this too. Look, she says we're, we have a situation now where people have lost all faith in their chief fire officer. It's the second time he has publicly lied. She's now saying he's lying. Oh. After the time where Police Commissioner Jamie Chalker called fire, he's greedy, and he said Chalker did not say that. He's now saying firefighters intentionally damaged trucks. Um. If that was one of my fireys doing that, they would be going through a disciplinary process now. Why has the same thing not happened to him? He's mm -hmm. brought disrepute on the agency, and it's time for him to go, she said. Jay. So, yeah, this is getting nasty here, and um, I'm sure there's going to be more. I And I tell you, I have noticed on a couple of occasions when fire trucks come out in front of me that um, they do have stuff written on them. Near the back in marker. Does it, so does it look permanent or non permanent? <laughs> I can't tell, but I, I'll just call the cops anyway, and I'll let them figure it out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think. Uh, I think also, nothing makes you seem more out of touch by referring to your fire engines as your fire retarding assets. <laughs> and appliances. I keep. They always call them appliances. Yeah. That's the thing. Anyway. In, Whatever the words were, I'm sure I didn't quote him accurately there, but it just seems just seems like slightly out of touch, like referring <laughs> to them as assets and appliances. Yeah. But anyway, it is what it is. I might start referring to my toaster as a fire. An asset, a fire an asset. asset. <laughs> a fire promoting asset. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. Anyway, look, Chris, uh, before we get to, of course, the highlight of the episode, which we do each week, let's uh, give a bit of good news now uh, because, yeah. you know, it seems drum like, roll, uh, please. I feel like there should be a drum roll. <laughs> we worked our way to it. And uh, that is the long overdue underground power network work to finally start in the northern suburbs, according to the government. Yeah, yeah. So now this, like you remember after Cyclone Marcus, I brought this up again. Now this is something yes. that's perpetually, and I get that, and I think ABC's like, oh, it was first announced 20 years ago. Now I'm sure you could probably find it even earlier than that if you want to go back sure. to when it was first, first announced. And that doesn't really help us here. What we're saying is that in 2018, after the devastation of Cyclone Marcus, which I think a lot of us remember very vividly. Five days without power, we were, yeah. Chris. Were you? Yeah. yeah. And so the government comes out and says, all right, we got to get back to this. We're going to we're gonna do this. We're going to finally do it. A lot of people talked about it. We're going to do this. We're going to underground it all. Well, here we are five years later. Two yeah. months, five years later. They've done, they haven't done any yet. They did a couple of schools here and there. <laughs> um, so now they've come up this week of all weeks to announce that, yes, we finally have the plan in place. Here's the schedule. Here's how we're going to do it. The, the suburbs of Nakara, Wagaman, and Larakia will be the first to have the high-voltage overhead power lines undergrounded as part of this, this underground power network project. Um, now, the last we saw of it, and they didn't put a price in this latest release when they put up the statement about this, mm. 60 million bucks underground power network project. Um, yeah, so they announced that. I think it, that was in 2018. Well, it was budgeted. It wasn't budgeted until 2022, until last year, more than four years after the cyclone brought down more than 500 power lines, leaving at least 28,500 individuals without power. Um, mm. 60 million is only expected to cover the first stage along main roads as well. Now that, and that figure is going to blow out. (laughs) That's going to blow out so bad. To date now, the government's saying concept designs have been finalized and procurement actions commenced for designs for Nakara, Wagaman, Larakia, Alawa. Um, Okay, so they said on Wednesday in the statement, the work will commence in Nakara this year. But when precisely? (laughs) Still didn't say I had to point that out. Like, how are you doing this to say we're finally moving on this later this year? Yes, <laughs> between now and December 31st. <laughs> yeah. um, the 13 Darwin suburbs that will receive underground power, including Nakara, Wagaman, Larkey, as we said, Alwa, uh, that's in 23 24 financial years. Nakara, Wagaman, and Larkey, Alwa, Narrows, Fanny Bay, Jingley, Moyle, Stewart Park. The following year, 24-25, Coconut mm. Grove and Ludmilla in 25-26, and Parap in the Gardens in 26-27. So okay. they're doing this over a number of years. Who knows what the final cost is going to be? It's going to be a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, so since 2018, the government has not completed any suburbs, but have undergrounded power for eight schools um around those kind of suburbs uh so yeah moving the low voltage power lines long residential areas will be the second stage of the underground power network project with the third stage seeing the connection of the power lines to homes the government said (laughs) so who knows when the hell that's gonna be you know when you see it like that you're like oh yeah all right am i to read anything into the fact that uh this announcement comes uh quite soon after 
the government was handed a check for $250 million? <laughs> well, we, we don't know where that money is. We were still trying to figure that out. But in 2022, so this was it for the total cost. They said it would be $200 million upon completion. That's for all three stages. Um, mm. But an updated figure has not been provided. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, Listen, I'm no electrical engineer, but it seems to me that uh, if you're going to do this sort of um, uh, pursuit, you probably want to put the suburbs side by side together. Yeah. And when you're announcing Nakara, Wagaman, and Larrakia as your first three suburbs, it seems completely disjointed that they would <laughs> they would do those. In that order, why wouldn't you just do Wagaman, Alawa, and the other ones? You know, in that area. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why are you going yeah. way down the ladder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems weird. And no offense, and I'm really happy for the people of Larrakia to get their underground power as well. But it seems that because uh, the city, of course, didn't lose power in Cyclo Marcus <laughs> because they've got theirs underground mainly, mm -hmm. and I believe Cullen Bay didn't. Fanny Bay didn't. Uh, sorry, um, not Fanny Bay. A uh, Bayview didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And okay. certain other suburbs that have already got underground power. Of course, they wouldn't lose it due to that. Yeah. But it seems kind of weird that Larrakee is not already done when uh, Cullen Bay and the city are done. Yeah. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Look. I, 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 yeah. We'll we'll see what actually happens with this. Like this is going to take forever, and we'll be talking about this. Yeah. And and decades. probably multiple governments as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, look, this will be something they can all agree on. They can't agree on crime, on solutions to crime, but they'll agree that, oh, yeah, we'll keep underground in the power. But do the same with the crime problem. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably probably trying to put too much sense into it as well. I should, yeah. I should <laughs> just step away with my common sense approach. Yeah, no, it'll get lost here. I mean, it'll make you, it'll drive you mad, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chris, we need to pause. And now, it's time for the job files. Thanks to no one in particular. Ah, there he is again. Every week, it sounds better. Every week, I listen to it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's head to the job files and the head of the week. Uh, the job of the week, Chris. This week, the job of the week was provided by your good self, and what a great job it is. The director of building advisory services. Now, we know the building advisory services section have been uh, in the news somewhat over recent years, Chris, due to a variety of factors. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a variety of scandals, really. TIO, <laughs> Bellamac Homes, just to name a couple. There's, Let's there's just more. call them factors, all right? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The, uh, the position leads the building advisory services branch in the delivery of high-level strategic and police ad oh, policy advice, not police advice. <laughs> no, police will be involved <laughs> soon enough, my friend. Don't worry about that. That comes later. Yeah. Uh, relating to building control matters, the position leads and manages the day-to-day -day operations of the branch to implement the legislative requirements for the regulation of buildings and swimming pool safety barriers. Interesting. The uh, remuneration package ranges from $165,000 to $179,000 a year. And for more information, you can contact Mark Molly Meldrum himself <laughs> on 8999-8957. No one calls him Molly Meldrum except for me, but there you go, I just made that up. 
Um, yeah, so give them a call if you're interested in being the Director of Building Advisory Services, and it'll be good because there'll be lots of work to do. Well, yeah, and I think it'll keep you busy. I was just looking to see if I had his mobile that I could give people, but I don't <laughs> seem to have it because I would have. Um, I would have shared that because, look, when I saw this, and the reason I sent it on, somebody sent it to me, when I first saw it, I thought, holy God, he's finally quit. He's finally <laughs> resigned. And this is, wow, okay, this is integrity. That was the first thing that went through my mind, too, was like, oh, my God, he's actually done it because he knows that this job and what the issues are that, that, that that's facing building advisory service. I'm talking about Bellamac, DIO, other issues, but this Bellamac thing is huge and what they've, what they've done out there. And mm. I know a lot of people are still working on things, and we're going to have more stories on that soon to be. Um, but what's gone on there is just shocking and, and, and just an absolute dereliction of duty <laughs> to let people live in these homes that, that they had engineer reports that showed that they were unsafe and they downplayed that and they, and they, they, they misled the community to the extent of what that potential for damage is there in a, in a high wind event and they like covered it up. And anyway, we've had all the stories on it. So I thought, oh my God, well, there it is. He's finally resigned. He's done the right thing. Um, hopefully the investigations that are going on, you know, we'll take this into consideration, I guess, but you know, he's, he's done the right thing and my God, you know, hats off to him for that. He's resigned. Well, no. And then I looked and I saw that he's the contact. So this person will be reporting to him because man, I'm telling you, like it's something, there's something really wrong with this place. When the worst thing that could happen is the people lose their jobs. Like that, that's what the public servants are most afraid of. And they might even bend the rules sometimes if it means that they won't lose their job because their job is the most precious thing instead of what's best for the community. And that, that pisses me right off. And, you know, I've lost my job um, for doing the right thing before and it doesn't feel good, but it does in the end. I mean, it doesn't at the time. But then you know that you did the right thing. And I just wish more people in the NT public service did the right thing and um, and, and kind of stood up for what's right. And, and we don't see that. And that's also led to the problems that we're in now. Anyway, I don't mean to get into all of that just on this no. uh, uh, crappy job offer. I would recommend nobody take that job. It would be a horrible, demoralizing place to work. I'm not going to say that they will make you corrupt, but it'll be alleged that they make you corrupt. Let's just say that, something like that. I'm not saying anyone there is corrupt. I'm just saying that things have happened in there that may or may not be corrupt, and that's for someone else to decide. So don't work there. Who would go work for Dipple right now? Honestly, who the hell would go and work for Dipple? That's, you, okay, Dipple or Territory Families, take your pick of the worst departments in the Northern Territory right now. Well, and then you've got corrections and police and health and everything else after that. They're all, they're all in trouble. But don't go work for Dipple. Well, on that pleasant note, I can imagine <laughs> the uh, applications will be dropping by the minute. But, but by all means, give Molly a call and see, let him know. You know what's going on. I don't know. All right, Chris. Well, mate, I, uh, I look forward to the next installment of Weekends with Walsh with you next week. All right. Thanks, Pete. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent online newspaper, Weekends with Walsh, back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. In the meantime, have a great week. 
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favourite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.